0: Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of the award winning podcast Entrepreneurs on Fire, and you're listening to the Excelsior Journeys with George Soroy. Prepare to ignite. Is there a burning desire within to share your creativity with the rest of the world? Do you insist on pursuing your passion by any means necessary? Then you are on an Excelsior journey, and you are not alone. Welcome back to Excelsior Journeys. My name is George Saroy. Thank you so much for joining me for episode 65. It has been an incredible run so far. I've had the privilege of speaking with over 60 creative people and allowing them to share the journey of their personal success. And there's no sign of slowing down. In fact, things are just going to keep getting better. If you haven't yet subscribed, please do so. Just go to he's got slash Excelsior Journeys and you'll see all 12 platforms where you can find the show. Also, on the same page, you'll see a link to the guest application for those of you who want to share your own Excelsior journey. And you'll also see a link to the sponsorship application for those of you who would like to support the show that features so many inspiring stories, many of which you're hearing on a podcast for the very first time, mind you. Now, starting in 2021, if you would like to be a supporter of Excelsior Journeys, you can sponsor a show for just $20, Or a full month of shows for only $50. And your contributions go toward covering the monthly Zoom costs, monthly Podbean housing costs, annual website costs, and other show related expenses. And your help is so appreciated. And in return, any information that you can provide to me about your product or your service, it's going to be read over the air before the beginning of the main interview. Now, for those of you who have been listening to and enjoying Excelsior Journeys, and for that, I really, really thank you, you know that several months ago, I had the privilege of speaking with Tales from the Crypt and Superman Returns producer Gilbert Adler. It was a major highlight for this show, and I learned so much about the man and his decades of work as a producer, writer, and director. I had no idea that a couple months later, Gilbert would invite me to moderate a Q&A at a screenwriting conference called ScriptCom. And we went on to have a really good time both revisiting the stories that he told on our earlier episode and getting other screenwriters of all different levels involved in the fun as well. So thank you so much to event director Jeff Chase for allowing me to repurpose the audio from this event. And once again, I have to thank you, Gilbert, for thinking of me and letting me ride along. Now, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, you're going to hear me introduce Gilbert Adler to the panel. And I have a feeling that this may not be the last time I'll be introducing him at an event. Time will tell. We'll be right back. Today's show is brought to you by Audible. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership. If you've never been an Audible customer and want to see what they offer, just go to www.audibletrial.com slash journeys and browse the unmatched selection of audio programs download a title for free and start listening it's that easy why audible audible content includes an unmatched selection of audiobooks original audio shows news comedy and more from the leading audiobook publishers broadcasters and entertainers and with this free 30-day trial you'll have your pick of it all you can hear books of all genres narrated by jim dale stephen fry will Patton. Alex Hyde-White, Jeff Brick, Neil Shaw, William Demerit, and even a few by me, George Soroy. So go to www.audibletrial.com slash Excelsior Journeys and start your own 30-day journey with Audible today. First of all, hello everyone. I hope you guys have been having a great time uh, this for this whole, this whole event. Thank you so much to Jeff for, for, bringing us on. Thank you to Gilbert for, uh, for having me come in to uh, be your interviewer for this segment. I think this is going to be a lot of fun. For those of you who don't know me, which is likely all of you, uh, my name is uh, George Soroy. I am a, uh, not only a podcaster, uh, host, and producer of the uh, podcast, Excelsior Journeys, and also the limited series podcast from Duck Till Dark outside the Marvel Studios. Uh, which celebrates all of the Marvel films that are outside of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I'm also a, um, I'm also an author of two uh, young adult sci-fi novels with a third one on its way and a complete five-part sci-fi serial. And I also served as, as uh, president of the Missouri Writers Guild from 2017 to 2018. Um, but enough about me. You are here to uh, to learn from uh, from producer, writer, director Gilbert Adler, and I am so thrilled that you guys get to get to interact with Gilbert because um, having interviewed him a few uh, a couple of months ago, it was one of my favorite episodes. I'm not just saying that because he's right here, Um, but uh, it really was so much that I got to learn from him, and also get to hear his story, which you're going to be hearing a lot of today. Uh, Gilbert is uh, is a triple threat. The man is a producer, a writer, and a director. He knows uh he knows film, he knows theater, he knows television. Uh he is an ideal person to learn from when it comes to what you are lo- what uh what the people in this industry are looking for. And so it is my privilege to introduce to you all Gilbert Adler. Your Gil How are
1: Nice to be nice to meet all you all. I'm glad to be here and uh happy to uh begin and start. And, you know, I started my career in theater in New York, off-Broadway, off-off-Broadway, and then Broadway. uh, Basically did some theater, went to Edinburgh, did a play there, did a play in London, found a play in London, brought it to New York, called El Grande the Coca-Cola. It ran for five years and probably is the reason why I'm even here talking to you today. Had that not been successful, I don't want to think about that. Um, but that, that's, that was the beginning of it. So, I started out in theater. I started out in music. Um, I answered an ad in the New York Times at one point in my life, and it led to me being the director of grants for the New York State Council on the Arts when Kitty Carlisle Hart was the chairman. Um, and so, I was involved with governmental agency and governmental distribution of funds for the arts all over the state of New York. Um, but, but that didn't really appeal to me. It was very administrative. I really wanted to be involved in the in, in the development and, and the production of it, and so after Coca-Cola was a big hit, I did a few more uh, uh, plays, uh, some concerts at Carnegie Hall, and then moved into film and television.
0: And uh, so I from, stopped there. And
1: you want to grill me well, a little from,
0: bit? From what uh, from what I remember, from, you know, from our conversation, you started uh, working in uh, with HBO for quite a while during the 80s, correct?
1: Yeah. yeah. What happened was uh, uh, Chris Albrecht was running HBO at the time. And when I knew him was before that, when he was an agent at ICM. And I would be this kid coming out from New York, looking to get a job, do do something in film and television. And um, Chris actually thought, you know, maybe there was something here and gave me an opportunity. And so initially I came up to Vancouver, oddly enough, and did a show called The Hitchhiker. Um, and then did a and became a guy that HBO would go to when they had problems. So they were shooting a a show that won um, some uh, ACE awards, in those days there were ACE awards, uh, in Savannah, Georgia. And so I flew to Savannah, Georgia because they had shot four days and they only had two days in the can. And he said to me, could you come come and fix it and take it over and do whatever you have to do? And so we ran to Savannah literally overnight and and took over the show and, and, and made it work and came in and did what needed to be done to get it done. And so I had had a rapport and relationship with Chris and with Tales from the Crypt. uh, One day, Chris called me and he said, listen, I need you to meet with uh, Joel Silver, Dick Donner, Bob Zemeckis, Walter Hill. And I said, oh, I could do that. And uh, he said, yeah, they've shot three episodes of Tales from the Crypt and they're way over budget and we have problems. And. They're not gonna write me a check. And we, it's a successful show, the audience is there. We won't do it unless uh, we figure out how to make up the money. And uh, I trust you would figure it out and yet keep the quality of the show at the level that you keep the things that you produce at that level, <clears throat> which is always my my mantra. And so I came in there and I looked at the three episodes, had a meeting with them. And I said, look, uh, you know, if you remember the first three episodes, the Crypt Keeper was very unaccessible. He was very darkly lit. He was not a nice guy. He was a threat. And I thought that was all wrong. I thought the show should be the threat. We should scare you. We should it should be titillating. It should be sexy. It should be funny. And it should be dark. But at the end of the show, the Crypt Keeper should come back on and say, you can go to sleep now. You don't have to look under the bed. Everything is cool. We're just having some fun. And the other thing I, I said, so I want to, I want to make him different characters. I don't want him to keep in a, In a dark litten, in a shroud. I want to be. I want him to be a chiropractor. I want him to run for president. I want him to be the Beatles. I want him to be whatever I can come up with. And secondly, I said the comic books were from the 50s, and so if you read the comic book, by the time you get to the second panel, you know the entire story. Mm -hmm. And I said you can't do that today. You need to have more intrigue in the storytelling, and you have to keep an audience active in figuring out what's happening. So. I would take the title and I would glean something from the comic book. Uh, maybe it's an effect. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's the way someone got killed or almost got killed or what the twist would be. I'd throw everything else out and we would rewrite or write a, a, a story that would make sense for an audience, a contemporary audience. And the third thing I said, I, I, what I wanted to do is I would want to go after stars. So they said to and I said, look, if you, if you don't like these three, ideas, that's cool, but I'm the wrong guy. If you like these three ideas and I can do that, I'm the right guy. And, um, you know, I I had done 44 hours of Freddy's Nightmares for Lorimar and New Line Cinema before that, where we were were shooting 10 pages a day. So I'll never forget, Joel said to me, uh, you have to shoot five pages a day, every day, day in and day out. And it's got to look like a motion picture. It can't look like crappy television." And I looked at him and I said, uh, what do we do after lunch? And I said, because I've been shooting 10 pages a day. And that sort of clinched it for him. And that's how we, we got into, t- uh, into Tales from the Crypt. And on Freddy's, you know, I, I produced all those. Um, and eventually they asked me to write some. And that led to, you know, me taking a stab at writing. So I'm not the kind of guy that got into writing and directing and became a producer. I went the other way. And really became a director because I was writing two episodes of Freddie's uh, a season producing all the 22 hours and they couldn't get me any more money. So they said, well, we can get you more money if you direct an episode. So there I was, I became a director's guild member and I started directing and then when we got the tails, similar thing happened. I was producing all the shows and then they said, well, why don't you write one? And they liked the one I wrote and I directed it. And they said, well, you should write and direct more. So Alan Katz and I were partners and and we were writers and and we wrote all the episodes that I uh, directed and we wrote all the episodes that Bob Zemeckis uh, directed as well.
0: Now, uh, you had mentioned Freddy's Nightmares, which is something I definitely wanted to touch on because it seemed like uh, from what I understand, not only you, but a lot of other crew members uh, from Tales from the Crypt really kind of came aboard after cutting their teeth on Freddy's Nightmares. Now, that's a now that was a show where Bob Shea from New Line Cinema basically said anyone who wanted to direct one could direct one, anyone who wanted to write one could write one. So it seemed like it was almost like, not kind, of, not kind of like a minor league kind of thing, but basically like a a way for people to really kind of get in and get themselves situated. Do you think that there are any shows that are out there right now that are, that have that sort of philosophy? Or do you think that uh, that, it, that, that time is pretty much past?
1: I think it might be for actors. I see a lot of actors directing some of their episodes of, of their shows, their regulars in the show. I don't think there's that opportunity any longer for that kind of thing. You know, when we did Freddy's, the first season we did 22 hours. And they, and they came and they said, you know, you have to write them so that we can break them into two half-hour shows. Because in Europe we want to sell them as two half-hour shows or as an hour. So we had to write them that way. The second year they came back and they said, yeah, we still want them to work as half hour shows. We want them to work as an hour show, but we also would like to gang up two of them at a time and make them into little movies. So two episodes would equal the movie. So we had to write them as half hours, as hours, and as two hours. And I don't think that could happen today in the time that we had because we shot Freddy's in five days. And on day six, we didn't have a writing day or an off day. Day six started the next episode, and we went 22 episodes straight for the
0: season. And so during that, uh, one of the things that I really found really interesting about Freddy's Nightmares during that time was that um, Freddy was kind of acting the same way that the Crypt Keeper would later on, but there were certain episodes where Freddy himself would actually be involved in the episode. Yes. Um, How did did those particular episodes come about?
1: It was intentional. I mean, when we got to the writing room, we – uh, we talked to Robert Englund, who's, who was Freddy Krueger and probably still does a lot of Freddy Krueger promotion these days. He's um, a fantastic actor and a really good friend. Oh, yeah. And, he, you know, he wanted to be involved more. And so we said, well, we can make that happen if, if that, everyone agrees. Lorimar and Newline want to make that happen. They said, yeah, if you can. Um, so we were very careful to use him judiciously because we didn't want to use up the franchise because the movies were still happening.
0: Right. Yeah, yeah, that was uh, during the time I think between between four and five. I think uh, of the of the yeah. films. So yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah. you had also mentioned how you had gotten into writing. Was it you know like when you were getting in there with your partner Alan Katz? Did, did it feel like you kind of had you know like had an advantage because you had gone through all the time as a producer, so you got to see like what it is that that, um, that the different studios are looking for?
1: I was scared as hell. Yeah. I was really frightened about the writing, and equally frightened when I started to direct, because you know, with writing, you look at a blank screen, and even your checkbook looks interesting to balance. Mm-hmm. You know, with that blank, when that blank screen is looking back at you. So what Alan and I did, we we really acted everything out in in our office. That's why it worked so well, because we could act. He and I were like never really at our computers. We were we were jumping around the room. Acting out and talking the dialogue and speak, and then we one of us would run to the computer and jo- you know jot it down. That was good. That's a good line. No, that's a shitty line. That's a good line. And so and we would do that. And and so that's how the writing started, and and it was exciting for me because it was it really was exciting to get to writing these these characters. And really, what I wanted to do, and and I was I've always had a mantra in my head is like, why is anybody going to hire me to produce anything? Mm-hmm. This is, goes way back, and this might be for people who are interested in producing or writing or directing and and just don't know how to get in. You know, I I didn't know what to do. And I I, I spent a lot of time talking to squirrels in Central Park in the early years about how do I make myself different? Why is anybody going to hire me as opposed to any other schmuck out there that wants to be a producer? And and when I started writing and, and directing, I did that intentionally because I said, understand the problems that the writer has. I'll understand the problems that the director has. And as opposed to just saying to them, well, you know, we have five hours left to shoot and we're done. I could go in and say, look, um, this is the problem we have. And, you know, this is how we could solve it. And this is one way to solve it. It's not the only way to solve it, but it might might just work. And so that's really why I got into writing and directing. Um, But it made me, I think, a better producer because I understood the problems and and could and can respond to specifics as opposed to just you know acting silly as a lot of producers do and bellyache about oh we're going to close you down in five hours well that doesn't help anybody that right. just puts more pressure on the poor guy that's directing who's trying to do the best job he possibly can.
0: So when you so when you and Alan are working on your scripts with the producer mindset, do you, are you able to kind of apply that as well, kind of like thinking about? what the sort of budget is going to be like Do you um, go into the writing with that sort of thing in mind.
1: Well, it it was a given that the budget was a specific amount of money for each episode and we didn't have a penny more. That was a given. And we also had a time schedule. We had five days to shoot the show and that was a given. So we would write them to accommodate the money and to accommodate the, the time schedule. And if if we wrote it and we boarded it out and it was too long, then we would have to rewrite it and figure out how to get it into the number of days we had to shoot the episodes. We made 93 episodes, half hours. Nope, we never went over budget. We never went over time. And that was no, you know, people look at me and they go, oh, how'd you do that? Well, there was no genius to it. It was really just, you know, this, these were the limitations we had. And nobody wanted to hear, you know, oh, it's a great episode, but we need another 5000 bucks or 50000 bucks. No one was there to talk to. You just said, okay, that's, that's the deal. So everybody, you know, including myself and Alan, we wrote, the guys who wrote Tales from the Crypt, wrote them so that they could be shot in five days. And every director, I would have a long talk with them on, you know, before we even got close to hiring them, whether it be Billy Friedkin or John Frankenheimer or uh, – anybody else who directed. Uh, and I would say, look, we shoot them in five days. I'm going to show you a board and it's for five days. And if you don't think if you can shoot that in five days, you've got to tell me now. Don't tell me on day three, because mm-hmm. I'll fire you. I promise <laughs> you, I'll fire you and I'll finish it or I'll get somebody else to finish it. But suffice it to say, every episode will be shot in the five days that we have allocated. And everybody was very respectful of that. I mean, you know, everyone said, oh, Billy Friedkin, you know, he can't, he'll never do it. He'll tell you. Billy was great. You know, we, we were very straight with each other, and we we got along like gangbusters, and he, he shot his episode, and it was one of the better ones in five days.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, so- I, think,
1: I think part of it is is letting everybody know what the parameters, what you're trying to accomplish, what are those parameters, and let them know you're there to help. You're not there to hurt. You're there to help. You're not enemies. You're making the same project. Yeah. I always, I always, I'm, I'm always amazed at how many people I know. They say, well, what, what do you do first as a, as a producer? And I go, well, I, I guess the first thing I do when I'm looking for a director is let him read the script and then I, or her and then I say, okay, let's talk about what's in the script for you. What, what, it, what's important for you? What's not important for you? How do you see these characters? What, so that I can make a determination. Are we talking about making the same movie? Mm-hmm. Because nothing's more punishing than you hire somebody, you think everything's going great on day three or day four, you go, Jesus Christ, this guy's not making the same movie that I'm making. Yeah, That's the worst place to be. So you want to make sure that's not happening. So, you know, every project I've done, even with some big directors, first right. question I have and the first conversation I have is, okay, so why do you like this script? What's, what's in it that makes you excited? And to see if that, if I share those, those desires to fix and make those things happen on on, on the film.
0: So having gone from from um, producing and and uh, working on different shows and everything in television, then you made or it was around that time. Then you also made the transition over to film. And uh, from what I remember in our discussion, one of the first things you were doing in in film. With uh, with Alan as your as your partner was getting, turning Children of the Corn from a just a one shot into what would eventually become a long running franchise. Uh, now, you know people can you know, the simple fact is it's still going today, and it's going because that first that first sequel is what really got it going. Um, can you tell can you tell our 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 uh, friends here a little bit about that process about getting into sure. getting
1: that genre. Sure. It, it, it was it was crazy. One day the phone rang, and these guys who had corn said, you know, we want you guys to write it. And we were like, well, you already have a good franchise. You know, what do you, what do you need us for? And they said, well, you know, you do Tales from the Crypt. And so we said, well, we'll think about it if we come up with an idea. So we came up with an idea, and they said, yeah, let's do it. And I was supposed to produce it as well as write it with Alan, and then I couldn't because I was busy doing something for Warner Brothers. And so they, they went ahead and made it without us, but they used our script. Um, uh, more interesting, perhaps, for, for our people tuning into this is before all of that, and before Freddy's and, before, yeah, before, uh, before Freddy's and even before, uh, except for the plays, I made a movie called uh, uh, with, with Sarah Lawrence College Students and Brian De Palma, home movies. Mm -hmm. And we made that movie for $350,000. We made it on the Sarah Lawrence campus. We were able to sell it uh, foreign for 500,000, domestic to United Artists for 500,000. So we made money before we even finished the movie. Um, Kirk Douglas was in it and he was one of our investors. Mm -hmm. Uh, Steven Spielberg was an investor brought in by Brian. George Lucas was an investor brought in by Brian. And I was running around New York City looking for writers, uh, actually lawyers and uh, doctors and anybody else who I thought might have money to put into the picture because Brian was coming up with half the money and I was coming up with half the money. And so that was a very interesting, it was the first movie I ever made. I I lived on campus in the production office, which was not air conditioned in the summertime when we were shooting, and I slept on a cot. And that was the first, you know, you, you learn really quickly when you're on your feet like that, and you don't have a lot of money, and you've got somebody like Kirk Douglas and Brian De Palma directing, uh, you learn very quickly what, uh, what you need to do and how you need to do it. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, um, and that was uh, during the time when you were teaching over at Hunter College, correct?
1: Yeah, I was teaching at Hunter College, and Brian was teaching at Sarah Lawrence, and We met socially, we combined the classes, and we taught for a whole season in his apartment and my apartment every Saturday for the whole day. And we went over the script and we laid it out and we outlined it and we talked about writing and you would write scene one and then we would talk about that. And then the following week, another student would rewrite scene one and you would rewrite scene eight. And after two semesters of this, this, we said, uh, well, goodbye and good luck. And, and our 15 students said, wait a second, you've been telling us all along, if you want to learn to make a movie, make a movie. We have a script. We mm-hmm. want to make this. So Brian and I looked at each other, gulped hard, and said, right. Okay, let's go make it. And yeah. that's, uh, that was my first movie. Brian had already done – he was a very successful director. By then, he had, he had done Carrie and he had done The Fury. So he was, he was pretty much up there. But uh, it was an incredible experience
0: yeah and that's that's actually a great uh, great segue to a couple of the questions that have been coming in. The first one, um, since we were talking about how you got started, how everything has been you know going since then, um, bef- we are going to uh, get into from like the mid 90s and beyond, but before that, um, some of our some of our students here are asking first question is, are you currently uh, are you currently looking for projects and if so, what are you looking for?
1: Uh, I'm always looking for good. Uh, I would do a good horror movie. I would do a good thriller. Uh, yes, I'm very active. Um, I have a. I finished a movie last year in 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 Australia with Bill Nighy. That we because of COVID, it's taking a little bit longer, but we're just finishing that movie up. Uh, I have another. I have another movie with Bill Nighy, and again because of COVID, now we're talking about not shooting until the third or fourth quarter. It needs to be shot in Spain, which is having terrible problems with COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a family comedy drama. Um, I've just made an offer to Isabella Rossellini to play his wife. Um, and uh, I have two TV shows that we're about to go out to streamers with. Um, yeah, so I'm very active. I just optioned a book recently. That's I, I have a writer writing, um, and we have weekly conversations about that. So yes, I'm actively looking for stuff I'm looking for good. I would do a good theater, comedy, a good horror, a good whatever. You know, after I did all the big tent polls for the studios, I took a, I took a look at my career and thought, am I really happy doing what I'm doing? I mean, yes, they, it's great work. It's a lot of work. It's, it's good money. But, you know, I go to see the King's speech or I go to see the movie about Stephen Hawkins mm-hmm. or I go to see, um, uh, slum dog. Mm. millionaire. And I go, how come I didn't get those scripts? Why didn't yeah. somebody why didn't somebody give me those scripts? And so I started thinking you know, I want to get into that more. Sorry for the ringing. There's a phone in the background. Um. So so I uh, I decided I wanted to do things a little bit differently and I stopped doing the big tentpole pictures mm-hmm. and started developing some of these smaller, more intimate, more uh, movies that meant more to me. Yeah. And that's sort of what I'm doing now. Would I do another 10, pole In a minute, if I loved it. If yeah. I found a great script that I love, I would do it. But right now, my focus is really on those smaller pictures that have great impact emotionally. Mm-hmm. And I think the difference between, and I know I'm rambling a little bit here, but forgive me for that. But I think the big difference in movies today, and even in television, really really revolves around character and relationship. You know, I can blow up a building just as good or just, or just as bad as anybody else. So the visual effects and the effects don't, don't really cut it. Th- that's not the difference. What's the difference is, in my opinion, is that the characters, the relationships and how they react to each other. So whatever I do, whether they're big pictures or little pictures, you know, the budgets don't really have any effect on me because I've been lucky enough to make very, very big budgeted pictures and also very small pictures. So I'm only really interested in, in, is this a movie that I would want to go see, or a TV show that I would want to go see, mm-hmm. um, is and is this something that I think I think is worthy of an audience? Yeah. I I don't really look at it from can I sell it, mm. you know, and I think that's sort of a big mistake to if you can think if you think you can sell it, I think that's the wrong motivation um, because that changes from day to day, and it's like if you see if you see a horror movie from five years ago, even, or 10 years ago, and you go, I want to make a horror movie like that, you might be able to do that. But I think today, because of the recent horror movies that have come out, that have something more than just, I'm going to scare you. They have some social relevance. They have some relationship to character, even of, of today's young people. I think you have to do more than just say, oh, I'm going to scare the hell out of you and get away with it. I think you really have to have a horror movie, for example, that, Maybe has some redeeming qualities about what life is all about or what relationship is all about. Gotcha. Like Get Out. Yeah. You
0: know? Yeah. Yeah. That's a perfect choice. That's a perfect uh, example right there. Um, now, it sounds it sounds a lot like um, like um, what you're looking for is really kind of like you know one singular story at a time that really appeals to you. These days, it seems like uh, like every studio is trying to get a shared universe going of some sort. Have you ever thought about, um, have you ever, you 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 just just froze. Could you repeat that question? I, I, I'm not hearing you. Oh, sure. Can you hear me now? You're frozen. How about now? Yeah. Okay, good. Um, These days, a lot of studios are doing the, you know, all the different shared universe projects they are trying to basically just kind of duplicate the success that Marvel has had. And so have you thought about doing any sort of like series or shared universe or anything, anything like that? Or are you just focusing on like the one-off stories right now?
1: Well, when I'm, I'm dealing mainly with streamers because I think that's really the future. Mm-hmm. And so I'm looking for projects that, <clears throat> that I can, A, I can sell to streamers, but have relevance to me in terms of, in terms of projects that I would like to see. Um, I don't see myself going into the Marvel universe or the Superman DC universe, um, but you know I am developing a series of horror movies to be shot in India because I was approached from a group in India, and they said, you know, if you if we if you put your name on a on a, on a script, you know you've you have a big following in India. I mean, who knew, right? Yeah. Um, but they they like that idea, and I said, well, I would only do that if I love the scripts, I have to love the scripts. And <clears throat> so they said, okay, well let, let's let start looking for scripts from Indian writers, but also from Western writers. And I said, fine, I'm just looking for good. Mm-hmm. And and so, you know, that's something that I'm interested in doing. But I'm also interested in doing, you know, Slumdog. I'm interested in doing The King's Speech. I mean, which is one of the best pictures I've, I've seen in recent years. Yeah. And so I'm very eclectic, I'm all over the place. You know, I've, I've done a lot of horror. Uh, but that's not what I'm limited to, and we've done some action, but that's not what I'm limited to
0: right um, so how do you prefer to be presented with something that is potentially good? Are you looking at a pitch, a log line, a spec script, or just like I think you know um I remember we discussed- you know we discussed this actually like right at the end of our first conversation, where you were mainly looking for synopses is that correct?
1: Yeah, and the synopsis need to be complete. I mean synopsis, you should look at it and say, I know nothing about this synopsis. Does this synopsis tell the reader everything they need to know, mainly about the tone, the characters, and the relationships? Because really everything else can be changed. Yeah. But you know, what's gonna be what's gonna be attractive to a to someone like me are those things. What's the tone? What's the relationship? who are the characters and all the stuff with the streamers, for example, uh, that I'm developing, really that's what we're working on. Yes, there's a story. Yes, you know, there's a full complement of what's hap- what what happens, but what happens is easier to change if you really like these characters or understand these characters or want to spend time with these characters, whether good or bad. You mm-hmm. don't have to make a judgment. I don't mind spending time with bad characters. I mean, nasty characters, But as long as they're they're really top of the line nasty characters you know so it's really uh rather than spend a lot of time reading you know many 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 scripts and really looking for that needle in a haystack, it's really synopsis and you know and hitting all the beats in that synopsis
0: nice very nice and um have you are there any sort of ideas or something that you're coming up with as well that you would think wow i I need, like, a uh, different out. writer to kind of take Hello? that. Uh, can you hear me? Is that helping? <laughs>
1: yeah, I look everywhere. I mean, I, I I deal with book publishers. I deal with, I look at magazine articles. I mean, like everybody else. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I You know, you never know where you're going to find a good writer. You never know where you're going to find a good story. I used to teach a writing class at Columbia 100 years ago when Milos Forman ran it. And I would say to kids, you know, kids, graduate students at film at Columbia, I would say, this isn't a trick question, but what's the difference between you and and and, and Robert Town? Mm. You know, Robert Town wrote Chinatown and won an Academy Award. Right. And they would be like, wow, what's the difference between you and? Robert? And I would say, this isn't a cr- one screenplay. You know, if you write the next Chinatown, guess what? Next year, you become Robert Town. Yeah. So you never know where you're going to find good material. And that's part of the fun. That's part of the quest to find good
0: writers and good material. Yeah. And it's not easy to do. And uh, so how can uh, how can writers reach out to you to potentially write a script?
1: Let me think about that a little bit, you know, because I don't really have a big organization. My -hmm. wife is the head of development. And it's really just the two of us, and we keep it small because we want to keep it small i don't really, I don't really have any desire to make you know everything in the world. <laughs> I just have the desire to make things that I find interesting or exciting, or that I can get um, a feeling that, gee, I'd love to see this. Um, so how best to do it? maybe maybe sending it to you, George, or maybe sending it to uh, uh to Andy.:
0: hmm. um, While some more questions come in. Uh, can we talk a little bit about the time during the mid yep. uh, 90s when you were talking about when um, during the time when uh, you were part of a group to take Tales from the Crypt from TV to the big screen?
1: Yes, it was a natural progression for us to do it. It was just a question of the script. And then, you know, we did uh, one with uh, Ernest Dickerson, the first one. And then, um, you know, everyone, the partners decided I should write. I should Direct the second one, and Alan and I should write, write the the script. And so that's how that came about.
0: And that was uh, that was from an old uh, Bob Zemeckis and Bob Skill Bob Gale yeah, script, right?
1: Yeah, when they were in college at USC, they wrote a script called Bordello of Blood, uh, and they basically Universal said they would like us to rewrite it, and that I should direct it.
0: And as a as a fan, that was I had so much fun watching that movie too. It um, I, was, I had sold, I'd sold a lot of friends on it and everything, just telling them, like, the, about the centerpiece of it all, which is Dennis Miller running around a bordello filled with vampires, spraying holy water in a, from a super soaker, while Ballroom Blitz plays in the background. How could you not love this? And so um, that was the one thing that I always just said. It was just like, just watch it. You're going to have a blast with it. And everyone, all of my friends that did, had you know like they had that same sort of that same sort of uh sense of fun to it which is something that i really incorporate you know incorporate with a lot of uh, a lot of your projects It really is that cr- really good sense of fun and it's something that do you feel like that's something that um that that is missing from a lot of a lot of uh, a lot of projects
1: i think times have changed a little bit um i think it's more difficult to marry comedy with horror mhm I think the fans are a bit more sophisticated today, and they really want to get deeper into character and deeper into relevance in today's world. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but I mean, you know, that's what we always tried to do. I, I, was, I was thinking when you said, you know, you always try to bring some kind of comedy or humor into the projects that you've made. And I, I immediately went to Valkyrie for some reason. <laughs> oh, OK,
0: not all of them, I will say <laughs> and, you know, that, that one is uh, you know that one, that one was a very interesting departure, too, from, you know, what, uh, from what you had done before, which yeah. I thought was, was really interesting. Yeah, it was, it was
1: Yeah, no, it was. It was a huge departure.
0: Yeah. Um, and one of, my, one of my favorite stories from our first conversation was how you got involved with Superman. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that project? Because that was supposed to be the springboard to a lot more Superman projects. Obviously that wasn't, that wound up not being the case, but there was a, um, but there was a, you know, a definite like start of a leg- of a full on direction that they were going to go with this. And the way that, uh, they kind of dovetailed off of Superman one and two was a really interesting touch as well. Uh, which a lot of films these days are doing right now, with Godzilla uh, from 2014 being as a like an indirect sequel to the original 1954 one, and then you have Jurassic World kind of starting its own franchise. And um, tell us a little bit about getting involved with uh, with Superman. Well, it was
1: kind of an odd situation. I, I was finishing up Constantine, and I had about I think three weeks more to shoot on Constantine on the lot at Warner Brothers. And I get a – my assistant comes over and says, um, Alan Horn and uh, Jeff, uh, Jeff Robinoff want to see you in the office right away. And I'm thinking, that's odd. I'm shooting. <laughs> no, they want to see you now. Because I said, I'll, I'll, I'll get there. I'll come over when we break for lunch. No, no, they want to see you now. <laughs> so I'm walking over to, this, to their offices thinking, they're going to fire me. I did something wrong. I don't know what I did wrong, but they, they must – they're going to can me. So by the time I get to their office, I'm like very defensive and I walk in and I said, Listen, I don't know what I did, but it's really wrong to fire me now. We only have three more weeks to shoot, so you should let me finish this movie. And then if you don't want to ever use me again or talk to me about getting off the lot, that's when that's what you should do. And and they look at me like I'm from Mars and they go, What are you talking about? Sit down. And I sit down and and, and they they go, Well, we want you to we want to talk about your next movie. And I went, Oh. Oh, <laughs> I tried to make it. It like <laughs> was a joke what I just said, but it then fell flat. And they sa- I said, oh, what, what's, what do you mean? And they said, well, we'd like you to read this script. And they turned the script around and pushed it over to my side of the desk. And it said on it, flyby. And I ah. said, flyby.
0: And that's the J.J. And, yeah, right.
1: and I said, what's flyby? And they said, you know, flyby. And I said, no, I don't know flyby. And they said, Superman. And I said, Superman, I'm not making Superman because you've been trying to make this for 10 years. You're never going to make it. I'm going to waste a year of my life trying to develop this more with you. You're going to pay me. I'll make some money, but it'll be a waste of a year of my life. At the end of the day, I'll feel terrible. And they said, no, 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 no. then no, we're going to make it. We're going to make it. I said, no, no, no. I got to go back to Constantine. I, 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 no, thank you. Thank you. But no. And the next day they called me back and into the room and they said, okay. So we figured out a way where, you know, if I hit certain benchmarks, the movie would be green lit. However, the only stopping gap, which I I felt I had no right to even ask, was who's going to play Superman? I mean, Mm -hmm. it's their money. It's a big studio. It's a big budgeted movie. Uh, They're going to tell me who's going to play Superman. I'll be part of that decision, but it's going to be their decision, appropriately so. Uh, um, But they said, you know, we really want to make this movie, and that's sort of how I got involved in it and i first uh, worked on it uh with brett ratner for about 2 weeks and then he got he got fired and then uh mcgee was going to do it for about a year mm-hmm. and then finally uh bryan singer
0: yeah and um so i just i just got a uh, 7 minute warning here for the for for today this has been this has already been flying by even with our little um technical difficulties every now and then but I wanted to get a really good uh, question. How about any
1: more questions? Are there, are there any more questions?
0: There's one more. There's uh, this yeah. one. is Are old school anthologies coming back into production where each episode is not related to other episodes? Um, and this, uh, this, this question also asks, why are monster creatures not in popularity versus ghost stories and mentally ill characters?
1: Can't hear you. Oh. Sounds like a good question, but I, I didn't hear it. You froze. Oh, the the first part is
0: our old school anthologies coming back into production.
1: Yes, I, I, I didn't hear the question, but I I just heard about anthologies, and I think I think you know it, it, they, these things have a sort of a sine curve to them. You know, everyone wants to do anthologies, and then they go, oh no, we've had enough of anthologies. They have to have recurring characters and recurring relationships and we want to we want to segue from one to the other to the other each episode, and now mm-hmm. it's coming back the other way. So, you know, I think right now for me it's again it's about good material and mm-hmm. what's the best way to tell the story. Yeah. I don't think you can pre-assess. Oh, I don't want to look at it because it's an anthology, or I want to look at it because it's an anthology. I think it really the material demands what it demands of the for the storytelling. Does that yeah. make sense?
0: Oh yeah, yeah. And the other part of the question is asking, uh, why are monster creatures not in popularity instead of ghost stories or mentally ill characters?
1: That's a good question. I don't know. Um, I suspect because, like with visual effects, everybody can do them now, and they're getting cheaper and cheaper and cheaper. Mm-hmm. So they, don't, they no longer make the difference of I want to see a movie or not. The audience doesn't go, oh, I really want to see that guy, Freddy Krueger, as opposed to I want to see Chucky. Right. They want to see now characters that relate to them and, you know, and, and they can, they, so it's no longer the visual effect and it's no longer the special effect. It's mm-hmm. really the character.
0: Right. Gotcha. Um, it looks like we're, you know, like we're right about the tail end. So before I put out my last question uh, let me throw it out to everyone to reach out to me. You can reach out to me at georgehsaroy at gmail.com and that's spelled S I R O I S. I have it in the chat in the chat window. If you guys want to take a look at it. Um, I'm not you hearing also, you. Uh, you um you can also access the uh, the full 90 minute conversation I had with Gilbert on my podcast Excelsior Journeys. Um, so my I would say my last question to you, Gil, is um, what sort of tips do you have for the up and coming screenwriter yeah. in these days? This is a very different kind of time that we're living in right now with movie theaters, you know, really suffering from COVID and streaming services really picking up. What are your thoughts about, uh, uh, you know, what, are your, what are your pieces of advice you can give to uh, up and coming screenwriters in this time? A couple of things. First of all,
1: perseverance. You just got to keep writing or directing or producing or whatever it is. You just got to keep doing it. Perseverance is the main thing. You know, if you, can do anything else, I would say do it because it's a tough business and it's a tough life. But once you have that perseverance, you know, that's the main the main thing. And then just keep doing it. If you're a writer, you got to write every day. If you're holding down a, a job, so then you write from six to eight in the morning before you go to work or you write from nine to midnight at night. But you have to have the discipline to do that. And, you know, my attitude is is cream always rises to the top. And if you keep at it and if you keep doing it, you're going to get better and better at it, and that's the main thing. Just keep working at it, and eventually you'll get there. I mean, you know, when I started out, I had no relationship to anybody. My father owned a store in Yonkers, New York, a floor-covering store where I learned how to put down floors. Mm-hmm. I knew nobody in the film or TV business, but you just keep pushing and pushing and working, and eventually your stuff will start happening. I, I think that's really the best advice I can give anybody.
0: Um, Excellent, and I couldn't thank you enough for uh, for bringing me aboard on this. I had I had a great time despite the technical difficulties, and I hope uh, I hope you had as good a time as well. He did. I, I did. Thank you so much, and
1: uh, Jeff, I don't see you, but I, I I hope you can hear me. Thank you for setting yep. this up, and I really appreciate it. And good luck to all of the young filmmakers you. or older filmmakers out there that are. Looking to keep doing it because that's the way you do it. You just got to keep doing it. And before you guys go, uh, Gil, you've seen this before. You saw this with the Australians a couple days ago. Uh, Thank you so much. Uh Oh, I don't have. You didn't see that, Gil?
0: It was the monkey.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I did see it.
0: (laughs) All right. Well, thank you. Did he replace the battery? Thank you both so much. I really appreciate
1: it. Um, My head is exploding with all the stuff we have learned today. It's been absolutely wonderful.